This is an ABC podcast. Where did they go? Is anyone there? Yes, this week on Download This Show, a redesign of the image-sharing site Instagram has left thousands of people wondering where exactly did all their friends go? Plus, when is enough enough? Well, when it comes to video streaming services, the answer is there's too many of them when people start going back to pirating movies and TV shows. And it is the social media service that many thought was dead, but instead has tried harebrained idea after harebrained idea, and maybe that ambition is enough. Which service am I talking about? Let's find out. This is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. My name is Mark Fennell and welcome to Download This Show. Yes, indeed, it is a brand new episode of Download This Show. Our guest this week, uh, Jennifer Dudley-Nicholson, is the National Technology Editor for News Corp, and she joins us now. Welcome back. Thank you so much. And uh, he is the Associate Editor slash Tech Boy slash Internet Man, <laughs> Man Boy of the Interwebs, uh, Cameron Wilson. Welcome back to Download This Show. Hello, good to be here, and such a welcome. Yes, Man Boy. That's going <laughs> to stick. That is me. Um, sometimes I just think, wouldn't it be great, Jen, to go back to, say, 2005? Skinny jeans are back in, the Strokes and Franz Ferdinand are cool again. And everybody is pirating everything, except not because, you know, they're just cheap, but because there's too many bloody streaming services. And apparently it seems piracy is coming back in again. Jen, talk me through exactly what's happened here. I mean, maybe it would have been easier for us all, even if just skinny jeans had come back. Um, But no, piracy's back. Not with my thighs, let me tell you. (laughs) (laughs) They are not friendly Um, to some of our legs. So, I mean, as you say, like, you know, take take us back. Um, there was a time where there was a lot of piracy, but that's because we couldn't get stuff. And now we've got the opposite um, problem where we've got too much stuff and everyone has multiple streaming services to the point of absolute confusion because there's, you know, three or more subscriptions is pretty standard. There's Netflix, there's Stan, there's Binge, there's KO, there's Amazon Prime, there's BritBox, there's all of the pluses. There's Disney Plus, there's Apple Plus, there's Paramount Plus, there's AMC Plus, there's YouTube Premium. There's way too much stuff to kind of get a hold of. But then if you just want to see one show, you have to work out where on earth it is. And for some people, that that simple act of Googling has just, it's too much because maybe it won't be on the right service. And so they're falling back into the loving arms of privacy. Uh, piracy. <laughs> I thought you were going to say pri- privacy. The private pastime of internet piracy. Exactly. And I mean, it's it's a sad thing because this is something that all of these streaming services were supposed to solve. Um, and certainly they have. But then I think the problem has, has come in where, I mean, Netflix did it so well. Um, there was Stan and back in the day there was Presto as well. And we were discussing whether three could actually survive in the Australian market, <laughs> or at least I was at the time. Ah, how little Apparently we the answer is yes. <laughs> um, and, you know, people were getting paid and, and consumers were getting what they wanted. But Life was just too good, apparently. The content creators and and the companies behind them, in fact, got a bit greedy and they decided they wanted a piece of Netflix's giant cake. Um, And now the cake is everywhere and there are crumbs of it all over the shop. I'm (laughs) committed to this analogy because it involves carbs and sugar (laughs) and now I'm hungry. Look, I think, you know, it's it's a worthwhile um, 
point to hit, right? Which is that, you know, once upon a time, it made sense, right? You, you, you'd have these sort of cable um, bundles that were, you know, comparatively quite expensive. You'd be paying, you know, hundreds of dollars a year to have uh, uh, something like Foxtel or Ostar back in the day. And the idea of a streaming service that only had, you know, you were paying 10, 10 bucks a month to have something like Netflix that had so much stuff that everybody was talking about made so much sense. But I think now that every major media conglomerate under the sun has one, plus let's not forget like there's all the like niche ones like Shudder and Shelter. Shelter is, by the way, my favourite of the niche ones. It's just architecture. It's streaming shows mm. about architecture. Anyway, not the point. Now there's so many of these things, it's actually no longer become cheaper. Like if you wanted to have like five of the, watch five of the most talked about shows, you are suddenly actually paying more than you would have been paying uh, back in the day of a, of a Foxtel subscription. And therefore you're, you're facing, you know, a situation where it's, it's, it is fundamentally in some cases more expensive than it was before. But it seems like it has a particular impact on, I guess, kind of, the grandpappy of the streaming services, Netflix, who've been under real pressure recently, Cam. Yeah, they've been really struggling um, with keeping their subscribers in the countries that they started in. So the US obviously gets a lot of attention. That's where they launched. Uh, they recently kind of forecast that they were going to have, I think, a 2 million uh, subscriber drop-off in the next quarter. And then they ended up downgrading it to just losing 1 million subscribers. Um, but I do think there's like a big mental barrier that's different with having multiple streaming services versus, say, something like Foxtel. Because, you know, you're just like, well, I subscribe to this service, you expect to get it all, it's kind of a bundle. But at the moment, you're looking across having, like you said, three, four, five, six different streaming services and also being like, I don't feel like I use them all the time. Like, you know, sometimes I'll be really in a Netflix kind of, you know, space and other times I'll be really on another one. Um, and it's, it does seem very easy to kind of cancel it. And I do think that is why we are seeing uh, piracy kind of tick up. And I think the stats which have kind of come out recently is that between 2015 and 2018, um, piracy went down from like people said they about like 50% of them had done it recently to about 20% in three years, huge drop. But now they are seeing it come back up, which I think is partly due to this or having all these streaming services, but also I think partly due to the fact that some of the uh, less legal alternatives are kind of also catching up in user experience. Like it's getting like a little bit less uh, difficult and a little bit more user-friendly to obtain things illegally, which is actually a, like a real problem for these companies. So what are the options actually, of, let, let, let's just focus on the options available to, to say Netflix, for example, because they did they opened up this market. Let's give credit where it's due, right? Um, and everybody else has followed. But one of the biggest challenges Netflix always had, and they've known this from the beginning, is that their initial growth was largely built on shows that they didn't own. And they had licenses for these massive, you know, shows that people like to comfort watch, you know, your friends and things like that. And of course, those things belong to, you know, what Warner Brothers or Paramount or Disney. And those companies understandably went, hold on, we have this massive inventory and this technology is not that hard. And so they built their own streaming services, hence why we have all of those owned relationships with consumers. They've put an enormous amount of money, Jen, uh, Netflix have put an enormous amount of money into building up their slate of originals so that they then have this ownership of the relationship. So why hasn't that translated into just constant, constant growth left, right and centre for them? Why is it that it's, it's plateaued? Is it literally that they've run out of people or is there something else going on? There's, there's lots of different things at play. So, I mean, obviously everyone wants to rewatch The Office over and over and it's one of those ones that, you know, they demanded a, an extreme amount of money for it. Um, some of the, the shows that Netflix are putting together, and they do create a lot of content, they put them all out at the one time because they kind of created the binge watch. And so people will get onto the service for $10 and they will watch all of these shows very quickly and then they'll go, okay, what now? 
And so potentially that's where some of the churn comes in. And and also when you're talking about, you know, other companies, you know, the Disney Pluses and the Apple Pluses of the world, for example, they're also making must-watch shows. And so if you're smart, like some friends of mine, you actually plot your viewing so you can go from one service to another service and kind of use up all of the different things. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm I'm clearly not that capable, so I can't do it. <laughs> but apparently that's the way that we should all be planning our viewing. And for Netflix, that's a terrible thing because it really puts the pressure on them to keep pumping out the hits. And, you know, the, the Tiger Kings of the world. And, and how many Tiger Kings can you find? And is that incredibly disturbing if you can find more than one? I mean, America has a lot of Tiger Kings. <laughs> Have you been to Florida? There's some stuff there. That's all right. <laughs> mm. I mean, it's a, it's a fair point, but but are they doing enough to na- kind of navigate the rest of the globe and, and make themselves appealing to those parts of the world, Cam? I think that they have in part taken for granted the fact that when they came from, you know, the US and other places like that, um, they had a built-in kind of understanding of the markets there. And when they expand to these other places, of course, they are hiring people there, but so much of their company DNA is built around where they originally started from. And so this idea that you just kind of go in and, and I guess automatically be able to to grow these companies after, uh, well, I guess, these markets after just picking off some of the low-hanging fruit, I think is like, you know, if it was that easy, other places would have also done it. Like, you know, other companies in those countries would have done that successfully, which we're not seeing as much. I think it's an interesting one. I mean, they have to make sure that they have a sustainable model, obviously, but it's taken them a long time to get off the ground with local content in Australia, for example. Like they launched in 2015 and we're now talking about, you know, some shows that are being made in the Australian market. I think um, one of the things, you mentioned India, which is really interesting because they did find that, you know, uh, one of the the shows that they made from India went absolutely viral. And so that's probably going to become a, a bigger focus. But it's a question about what works with all of their market, I suppose. Um, you know, not everything can be, uh, you know, Korean people selling themselves say. in weird childhood <laughs> games. I mean, um, it should be said, like, credit where it's due, though, right? Because, like, Netflix, I, I can't think of another company that would have done something like a Squid Game or I think the show you're referring to there is Triple R, which is the Indian one that's just gone absolutely quite, you know, there are memes of it all over Instagram and, and TikTok. I, I, I think, you know, there's something to be said for, for Netflix being a company that would do things like that, like really hyper local specific things around the world and turning them into global phenomenons, which, you know, for better, for worse, Disney and Apple haven't, wouldn't, or at least have not yet done. And I think there's something to be said for that. But I also wonder, you know, how much room, like, is there a ceiling on it? And have they found it? Yeah. And the the other aspect is we often talk about competition and we're talking about competition between uh, these services for uh, subscribers, but there's also the competition between all these new services for talent. Like I look at something like Severance, which came out on Apple TV Plus, and that was a product that, you know, a few years ago might've only been able to come out on on Netflix or on one of the, um, you know, television networks in the US. Now there's all of these um, streaming services who are all trying to get flagship um, content on there and they're all competing for this, the same like high-profile directors to try and bring people in. Download the show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. Our guest this week, Cam Wilson from Crikey and Jen Dudley Nicholson, National Technology Editor with News Corp. And people are very upset about their Instagram feeds, Cam. Something terrible's happened on Instagram. What is it? So the app that most people are using on their phones, or some people using on their computer, is changing how it looks. Your user interface, um, you know, the, the way that the app is, is actually designed, has changed substantially as part of this broad 
broader company transition from Meta to become a lot more like TikTok. Now, uh, the company broadly, Facebook in particular, but also Instagram to some extent, are facing uh, challenges with you know finding new uh, users and, of course, the competition of TikTok and other services as well. And so as a result, we're kind of seeing this move away from how they were originally created, which is, hey, this is me connecting you to people you know in your life, more and more towards this is me providing you with content. You may not know where it comes from, but based on the things that you like, we are going to show it to you. And what that means in practice is that we're seeing less of the content from our friends and families and our feeds and more things suggested from pages we may not already follow or accounts we may not already follow. And of course, a lot more short video. So does this mean the burgeoning sense of loneliness I feel uh, is not because my friends don't want to uh, talk to me or see me is actually because Instagram is hiding my friends from me, Jen? Let's go with that, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, like, is it so? Is it noticeable for you, Jen? It's awful. It's absolutely awful. Like, so I'm, I'm, you know, full disclosure, a big camera nerd, and I like taking photos and stuff. And I like seeing photos from people that I follow, and I follow them for a reason. I like seeing photos from my friends. They're not there anymore. It's just a whole bunch of suggested uh, posts about um, abandoned houses because I once liked a photo of an abandoned house. <laughs> And I think that's what is really irking people. And like huge news, this week we've actually seen the Kardashian Jenners get involved. And so <laughs> this is, I mean, it sounds stupid, but this lost Snapchat a billion dollars not, not that long ago. So I think it's really irking people because, I mean, some people have even created businesses around their photography, um, have, have, you know, created businesses around uh, as much as you might mock it, um, being an influencer and, and posting photos and content up to Instagram, and they're not getting seen anymore. Engagement is way down. There was a study that was done um, that shows that engagement's down about 44% since 2019 and, and between that and 2021. It's probably dropped even further as a result of these things. Um, Meta is just so intense about copying the competition and taking thing, taking users away from TikTok, which is growing in number. Um, that they, they're not really seeing, you know, what their role is in actually playing to their audience. And I think that potentially they've got at least a minor revolt on their hands with this one. I think we're seeing a fundamental change in the philosophy behind Meta's products, which is that it used to be about connecting to people. And now it's seen TikTok be like, hey, you know, people love to uh, see content that they don't necessarily, you know, aren't actually connected with, but see what it's it's like based off the algorithm. But I do think it's, it, this is like a, a huge change because it's not like they're just like, well, we're just going to, you know, do everything new and it's, it's a do-over. All the content that's already on these platforms, the way that people have constructed their businesses, their lives around it, is suddenly being thrown into this huge experiment that, as we know, Facebook and, and Meta, I guess, loves to do based on all their various algorithm changes. But it is like fundamentally a really, really, um, it's, it's, a, it's a really big shift. Is there an argument that the, the TikTokification of Instagram where they are flinging you things from outside your circle. They are flinging you things from that you may not necessarily follow, that you may not necessarily already like, is an attempt to break said bubble cam. 
Yeah, and I, th- I think, you know, like TikTok has had to answer these questions specifically about it because they've, you know, there's been a similar news cycle that with TikTok as there was in Facebook in the past where they were saying people getting into filter bubbles, they're being radicalized by the app. And they said we, they, they gave some insight into the how their algorithm works and that it, what it is is they start suggesting things that you like, but every now and again they throw in a kind of curveball to be like, do you actually like something that we haven't suggested before? <laughs> and occasionally people do. And, and where do you stand on food videos? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do so, you like workout videos? And so that that does how about have, white supremacist content? <laughs> yeah, just see how you feel about yeah, it. Just try it, you know. Um, don't try it. Don't try it. Please, uh, please, do. Sorry, please I, do. I'm not do not click. Swipe uh, left on that. I yeah. don't think you do the swipey don't, thing on yeah, this. Don't don't engage. How does the internet work? Yeah, carry on. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think it is partly that. I think one of the big things that this was mentioned a few uh, like months ago, and I think has been part of the change is that people are actually producing their own content on Facebook and Instagram less. Like they are posting less of like, you know, Instagram posts, they move to kind of stories. But the other thing is that increasingly you see these apps become, it's not people sharing their own content, not pictures of them. It's people sharing other people's content. Like my Instagram feed before this UI change has become increasingly people sharing other, you know, viral tweets, other viral memes and stuff. And I think, you know, TikTok where they've got all these people creating stuff, you know, that's where the life and energy is. And Facebook wants to go to something like that rather than feeling like it's the kind of like getting all the hand-me-downs from the other apps. What do you think about this idea, Jen, that potentially this restructure allows you to kind of puncture those news and kind of opinion bubbles that people live in on the internet. I do understand that. And I think that there's probably a place for uh, suggested posts even, uh, you know, as, as much as they're hated right now. Um, I think that there's a, a place for suggesting new users that you might want to follow. I think that the way that they're doing it is way too desperate and way too obvious. Um, like it's, <laughs> I, I've, I actually recently, I, I turned them off. And so you can turn them off for a 30-day period and it's like going on holidays. Um, my Instagram feed, it's its not perfect, but it came back a little bit and I can actually see some of the people I'm following. Um, it, the fact that it made that big a difference is a sign that they've gone way too far. And I mean, that's thats meta. They, when they, they take someone on, they're really serious about sort of destroying TikTok, which I think TikTok is perfectly capable of doing itself. Um, so I, I think that there's it's also worth mentioning that, yes, there's a lot of suggested posts, but there's also, that's in addition to a lot of ads. And that's also in addition to a lot of video content, which, you know, people don't necessarily want to see on their main feed because as, as part of taking on TikTok, Instagram introduced reels. And now every video that you post onto Instagram is a reel, according to them. And they're including that in the main feed, which they think gets more engagement. But for some people, it just ticks them off when they want to see photos. Um, I must say, I do find it confusing, right? Because you do get used to a certain way of engaging with these things because they are habit-forming, possibly too habit-forming, let's be honest. When they do a sudden change and they don't kind of pre... There's a a slight inbuilt arrogance to it. I'm just going to say that they they do a change and they kind of just expect people will fall into it. I do think messaging around major changes to something that... Two things. One, people do as a force of habit. It's, it's, it's comfort for some people. Also, businesses, thousands of people's jobs, are they messaging it appropriately? Are they, are they giving businesses time to adjust? And the reason I mention is because, you know, I remember when every media organisation under the sun pivoted to video because Facebook <laughs> said pivot to video and they hired all these people to video and then Facebook like 
that changed their algorithm and suddenly, you know, whole business structures had to go and people lost their jobs. And I do just wonder, like, you know, there's a fundamental underlying idea of, like, should you be building a business and an income stream on a platform that, that you know, doesn't has no allegiance to you like there's no there's there's nothing about them that's going to support you and this isn't just specifically about meta or facebook it's about any social media company you build a business on top of a company you have no control over it's risky it is inherently risky but i do just wonder like is there a better could could companies like this can be better at communicating with their stakeholders either users or businesses who who invariably you know have a have played a role in popularizing them in the first place so they are trying to get this out there, but I mean, it's fundamentally, how do you message to people who've based their livelihoods off this that we're going to change this, even if it's in a few months, you know, like for some people, it may be as easy as being like, well, I'm going to do more video content than I was doing photo content. And a great example is a lot of media companies right now are seeing on Instagram, their engagement drop a lot. So they're doing what is essentially like, you know, still photo or like text content, but presented as videos. So they're adapting to that at the moment. They're figuring that out. You know, that is why all these creators now are like my way of dealing with the uncertainty around platforms changing is that I'm just going to diversify myself across as many platforms as I can so that if Facebook decides that, you know, you can't post text statuses anymore tomorrow, well, then at least I have these other options as well. Mm. It's also why you should get into podcasting. Just bring it out. <laughs> It's a more unmediated relationship. Yeah, we need more white, white guys podcasting, right? <laughs> I mean, we will allow you this one. Thank you. You're allowed on this <laughs> oh, podcast. Um, Jen, what do you think about the way companies, and I, and I don't just want to hang this on, on Meta because it, it affects a, a range of tech companies. How do you think they go about communicating that these changes are coming? It seems, you know, sure, like for users, it, you know, they're mildly annoyed and they get over it, but it's bigger than that, right? It affects businesses, it affects people's income streams when they when a change like this happens. Do they think they, they communicate it clearly enough for, for those whose livelihoods depend upon it somewhat? They do not, no. And they've got a long history of not communicating these things well. And I think part of that is because they're, they're so protective of their algorithm and they're, they're so protective of, you know, what what their, their company is essentially based around apart from advertising. Um, so I understand that, but they don't give people and give companies a, a heads up on these things that will directly affect them. I think um, one of the ways that people have been learning about things through Instagram is just by following the bloke who's in charge of it, Adam Masseri, and then seeing what he announces that day. But what he announces generally like comes out immediately and then you've just got to deal with it. And so you've got to you know throw away your DSLR and, and grab a smartphone and go film some reels all of a sudden. And it's a big swap for companies. I was also talking to a, a social media strategist today who was saying that um, in some cases, there are local government agencies, for example, who can't post reels because the metadata about them isn't searchable. And so for the, those uh, sort of agencies, their content is going to suffer as a result of this. They're going to get less engagement because they're not posting reels. And that's what fa well, Facebook and Meta and Instagram and the giant conglomerate. Imagine it decided. as an octopus. <laughs> so it's the easiest way to do it. Just imagine an octopus <laughs> with little laptops under the end of every tentacle. That's how that I imagine it. The, that is what the octopus has decided is important. And so if the octopus does not like the fact that you're not posting reels, people aren't going to see your stuff. And potentially that's that's not going to reach the uh, the people that it needs to. And it's I mean, it's easy to criticise, you know, companies who kind of base themselves on this, but this is where the eyeballs are and so this is where they go to and they do suffer as a result of these changes. And 
Instagram has put out a lot of changes over the past six months, and I think that that's, that's really showing up in the anger from their users. Download this show is what you're listening to. It is your guide to the week in media, technology and culture. And interesting talking uh, about Facebook and Instagram because uh, I remember a couple of years ago we talked very much about how suddenly these, these surprising new features would rock up on Instagram that seemed very, let's say, reminiscent of another uh, photo sharing or video sharing app uh, known as Snapchat. Uh, now, interestingly, Snap is still a company, still a thing, still out there, uh, and Cam they're not very happy with their current status. What's been going on with Snap? No, they've recently had another earnings report where they've said their, their income isn't growing or their revenue isn't growing as fast as they would like it and uh, their stock prices recently tanked, uh, kind of as it seems all tech stock prices are. But um, Wall Street apparently is not very happy with them. And part of that is because they are, like everyone else, facing headwinds, uh, as is the, the terminology they love to use. I love the terrible metaphors that we <laughs> use in finance. Yes. Facing economic headwinds. I'm like, what does that mean? It's from a shitstorm, I think. Yeah. Um, so, and, but the other thing is that they're, they're also trying, they're, they're dealing with the same thing that um, the other social media companies are dealing with, which is that Apple has released a feature which has made it harder to do targeted advertising. But also they've got, you know, Snap, I think, is probably the most innovative uh, big tech company out there at the moment. In this year, they released like, you know, a drone that uh, is a kind of selfie drone that uses AI to kind of follow you. They've got the spectacles, which is the, the glasses that have a, a camera in them. They're trying new things. Um, but yes, often what happens is they come up with an interesting new feature. They do all this hard work and then it just magically appears on some of these other apps. It had this brief moment, Jen, of being this, you know, very like... Uh, kind of shiny social media service got a lot of attention uh, and then their kind of core functionality was sort of you know mimicked somewhat uh, in, in the uh, Instagram universe but then the, this its response as a company has exactly as Cam says they've done all these fascinating things where like they've put you know Snapchat in uh, sunglasses and they've done things with drone. Their, their response as a company has just been like, try new thing, try new thing, try new thing, try new thing. But is it actually a pathway to being sustainable, Jen? Uh, they really want it to be a pathway there. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I think that they've, they've also taken a slightly, um, I don't know how to put this, a less evil take on things as well. Like when they did, um, you know, snap glasses, for example, they made them bright and colourful and very obvious that they were recording people, as opposed to another company I could mention who made uh, some sunglasses with Ray-Ban that could definitely spy on people and you would not know. Um, and, and so I really appreciate their approach as well. Um, I find their app kind of weird to use, and at the moment they're feeling a little bit MySpacey. <laughs> Um, oh no! Which, oh no! <laughs> I know. So, I know. So just, I, I don't. I don't want to mention the war, but uh, yeah. So, so <laughs> for for context, MySpace is obviously. Um, I think. I think it's safe to say defunct. Do we feel that's the direction Snapchat is heading in? Because it's worth noting that um, the the two kind of the the leaders of it have announced they're only going to pay themselves a dollar per year with no additional equity. It's like they, they've basic. There's a slight whiff of panic about this company. Can I, I think that Snapchat is almost a victim of the fact that it's been around for ages. It's doing new and interesting things, but I think you know the fact that it is still around and while it continues to innovate, I think has proved that they're doing something well, even if they're not the biggest. They are like you know making money, which is 
is more than a lot of these other companies can say. Well, that's sort of a a really important point, Jen, right? Not every company needs to do the global domination octopus act of Meta, right? There are other ways of being a sustainable and interesting tech company, right, Jen? There are. And it's probably worthwhile pointing out. And I did see it had a, like, it's it's MySpacey. It's not MySpace yet. Um, They actually added 15 million users. (laughs) Essence. (laughs) Oh, to MySpace. Um, They actually added 15 million users during the last quarter, which, you know, everyone is is acting like it's a bad thing, but Facebook actually went back in users. And so, like, they're... Netflix would kill for that. (laughs) Exactly. Netflix is looking at those numbers and going, yeah, can we be snapped too? Um, And so they're actually, they're doing some interesting things as well around um, being able to use Snapchat on the web. So we've concluded that reports of Snapchat's demise are greatly exaggerated. I also should say, like, we've heroized a company that's business is still kind of like targeted advertising. So it's like, you know, like, let's not like pretend like this is somehow a charity we're talking about. But fundamentally, uh, it's ambitious, it's survived, and it's not an octopus. Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm Agreed. glad we solved that one. And, we'll, and on that bombshell, uh, that is all we've got time for on the program this week. Jen Dudley-Nicholson, National Technology Editor for News Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on Download This A Show. Pleasure. And you, Cameron Wilson, Crikey Associate Editor, Tech Boy and Internet Man. These are the, like I asked him what his job titles were. This is what he gave me. Those uh, are my chosen names. Yeah, that's he changed it by default. It's his choice. I'm not here to judge. Uh, thank you for joining us on Download This Show. Thank you. And with that, I shall leave you. My name is Mark Fennell, and thank you for listening to another episode of Download This Show. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.